First Lady, they're not here, of course, but we still want to honor them and for the great vision that they have and how God is leading them and just doing amazing things for the Lord. Can we say amen? Thank God for that. Praise the name of Jesus. And we're glad for Brother Wellman, how he's leading while pastor's gone and just obeying God and doing uh, just a great, uh, great uh, leading here these weeks and uh, being used of the Lord as well. We're so thankful for all the ministry. Boy, and uh, Pastor Ron just lit us on fire last night. I'm, I'm still smoking. Hallelujah. That's right. Praise God. What a message, Brother Ron, Pastor Ron. Mm. Thank God for his word and thank God for his preachers, huh? Thank God. Thank God for his, his preachers. And um, last time I was up here, I, uh, I meant to bring a book, that my latest book, and I wanted to give uh, out a free copy. Um, but if you don't, if you're not really interested in the subject, don't come and get it. Um, but if uh, you're really interested in in the subject of, um, uh, well, for for about four decades, I have uh, studied diligently and prayed and sought the Lord. And what I did, I put all of my notes in a book and arranged them in a way that I felt that would uh, make good reading and help people. And uh, if you're if you're sincerely interested and you haven't had a copy, um, I'm going to give you a copy. It's called How to Help Someone Receive the Holy Ghost, an in-depth guide for altar workers. So this is my notes in book form. You can get it on Amazon, or you can see me later for, uh, I have more copies I can bring. But this is the free one tonight. If you'd like a copy, just come on up and get it. Any, anyone that, If there's anyone interested, no one's interested. Uh, anyone, first one here. You have to fight, fight somebody for it. All right, to Sister in Blue, she says, I'm going to get that book. All right. Well, I just hope it blesses somebody. And I wanted to bless, um, I wanted to help someone so that person can help as many as possible. That's the goal, to help uh, others receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And I have been blessed to help some. And I'm so thankful for that tonight. And... Um, we all like to be used of the Lord in some way, right? Everybody has a talent, and there's gifts and all these different things. Um, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I'm so glad for my wife, too, I want to say. Uh, I know I'm getting a slow start, but that's just me. So endure with me for a moment. And uh, so honor my wife. She's a wonderful wife, and um, I'm so thankful for her tonight. But we're going to go ahead and read a scripture, and I'll let you sit down. I know you're tired. You've probably worked today. I work sitting down all day. <laughs> so the hard thing for me is to stand up for a couple hours because <laughs> I'm so used to sitting. It's terrible. Matthew 24 and verse 1. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time, this opportunity to come into your presence to worship you. It's our honor to worship you to come together to praise you, to give you glory, to lift up your name, to play musical instruments, to sing, to lift our hands, to clap and to shout. Lord, we're just so honored to be able to do that in your presence in the congregation of the righteous. And we pray, Lord, that the, someone will be touched by the word of the Lord tonight. And Lord, if you don't help me tonight, uh, 
we'll be uh, we'll be all be in trouble. Lord, we surely need your anointing. We need your help. We need uh, the touch of the Lord upon us tonight. And we pray for that. We ask for that, Lord Jesus, humbly. But we come boldly as well in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we give you praise and glory tonight. Can we clap our hands unto the Lord right now? Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Bless the name of the Lord. Bless the name of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. All right, let's read Matthew 24 and 1. We'll let you be seated. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple. And his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. You may be seated. Kind of strange. Jesus left the temple. He walked away from the temple. But his disciples got excited like Jesus didn't know anything about the temple. And they came up and said, hey, Lord, we want to show you this temple. Herod's temple that was built. We want to show you all around. Jesus knew that place. Jesus knew all about it, but his disciples wanted to show him the buildings of the temple. So I'm going to read to you a little, uh, some historical stuff here tonight. And um, I'm going to read it just so I don't miss anything. I don't like reading my messages, and I'm not going to read my message. But I'm going to read you this little historical thing, and then in a few minutes, I'm probably going to read you something else. But if you could stay with me while I read this, this is going to help you get the rest of the message. It's important tonight. I believe the Lord has definitely given me something for this service tonight. There's no doubt in my mind that what I'm going to talk about tonight is from the Lord. You know, there's a difference in a sermon and a message. You know that. Pastors talked about it. A sermon is something that we decide to preach, but a message is something that the Lord gives. Um, so I'm going to read this a little bit here. Some say that this temple could have been the most beautiful building ever erected. The marble floor was completely stunning. It had amazing colors and patterns. Herod's temple has been called the eighth wonder of the world. Of course, it no longer stands. It was destroyed by the Roman army, uh, Titus and the Roman army, as Jesus prophesied it would be uh, later after his uh, death, burial, and resurrection. Reading you a little bit more here, a longer paragraph about the the, the temple there that was in Jerusalem at the time. In spite of all the grief and fear he brought to the Jewish people, Herod was a master builder, and the temple with its accompanying temple mount was the crowning jewel of his achievements. Its size was enormous, covering an area of 40 acres. Herod employed 10,000 men, largely slave labor, along with Roman craftsmen and took approximately 10 years to build the Temple Mount complex. Its highest wall was 158 feet from bedrock. Its length was roughly equivalent to five football fields end-to-end and about 1,000 feet wide. Think about it. It was about five football fields in length and about 1,000 feet wide. The quarried limestone ranges from 3 to 30 feet long, and from three to six feet high. These stones weighed from one to 40 tons each. The joints were dry mortared, joined, joined with paper-thin precision. The engineering necessary to construct the walls surrounding and supporting the temple complex and the temple itself was nothing short of genius. Somebody say the temple. I'm going to read... Uh, starting in John chapter 2, 
and 13 through 16. If you have your Bibles, um, a lot of times, I'm like you probably, we just look up there, and that's all right. But I have some things I'm going to point out that in, in, in the, some of these passages themselves, you might want to follow in your Bible. It might help capture the message from the Lord tonight. Um, John 2, 13, and the, Jews passed, uh, and the Jews' Passover was at hand. The Passover, we know, was a very large feast, and people came from uh, all over the known world, uh, Jews did, for the Passover. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem and found in the temple those that had, that had sold oxen. Where was he? In the temple. He found those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured all out the, the changers' money and overthrew the tables. And said unto them that sold doves, take these things hence, make not my father's house an house of merchandise." So Jesus got really ticked off right here in this passage. I mean, he was amazingly angry. You know, the Bible does say, be angry, but sin not. It is possible, possible to be very angry and not commit a sin. And some might say that Jesus sinned because of the way that he was acting. But this was the temple of the Lord. He had not yet come to dwell in the hearts of men the outpouring of the Holy Ghost had not yet happened. And now at this point, the Spirit of God would dwell in the temple for when they would come to worship. And so when he walked in and he saw the oxen, he saw cattle, he saw sheep, he saw doves, he saw tables, and he saw men and maybe women sitting around and exchanging money. What does that mean? They were exchanging money. Well, when my wife and I went to Rome, Italy, back many years ago, before we went, we had to exchange some money so that we would have money to spend while we were there because they were not going to accept our ones, fives, and tens, and fifties. So we had to have their money. When we went to Buenos Aires, um, Argentina, and South America, we had to do the same thing. We had to exchange money so that we would have money to spend. So these people were coming in from different nations, and they didn't have the money uh, that they were using in Jerusalem and in Israel. They didn't have that money, so what did they do? They needed to exchange their money for the money that was in Israel. Why? Because they were selling oxen. They were selling sheep and they were selling doves so that they could make sacrifices. And they were doing this inside the temple. Well, initially, it might have been a good idea to have this convenience for travelers because they weren't able to bring their sacrifices from hundreds of miles away. But So they set this up in the temple, but after a little while, the way it looks and the way history reads, it looks like they've started really making some money with, and, and making some profit with this situation, and they set this up inside the temple, and the temple of the Lord smelled like a barn. Amen. No doubt there was ox dung and sheep dung and doves dung all over the floor. There was no doubt feathers. And there was a mess in that place. We're talking about the temple of the Lord. We're talking about where the Spirit of God dwelled before the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Oh my, was Jesus mad. 
he was mad. He made a whip. Can you imagine? He made a whip, and he came in swinging. <laughs> I don't know if he hit anybody. I don't know if he hit the cattle. But, you know, he drove out the cattle. He drove it out. He drove them out, and he drove out the sheep. But he, he said to those that had the doves, he didn't drive them out. He said, just take the doves and, and get them out of here. Well, you know, the doves are, you know, they're symbolic of the Holy Ghost. So maybe there's something to that. I don't know. Maybe a little typology there. Not sure. But uh, he drove it all out. He was turning over the tables, the Bible says. He took the money of the money changers. He actually grabbed their money, maybe money that was from Greece or money that was from uh, other, other countries and, and, and money that was there from uh, Jerusalem and Israel, and he began just to pour it out. He was just so upset. He was mad at everybody and everything that day of all that was going on in the temple. He said, you have made my father's house a house of merchandise. Wow. Was he ticked off? Look at somebody and say he was ticked off. He was. He was very mad. So I want to preach tonight or teach whatever this turns out to be, cleansing of the temple. The cleansing of the temple. Hallelujah. Well, we're not able to really see it too well. There we go. That's an actual, um, that was a drone shot that was taken back in those days. If you believe that, I have a bridge to sell you. Uh, but, of course, they, they had a, a lot of information according to history. And Josephus, the historian of the day, I did a little reading from him. And uh, he was, uh, lived in the days of the apostles and the days of Jesus, if I understand correctly. And... Um, he wrote a lot about these things. 1 Corinthians 3.15, If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Look at those five words right there. I don't know, maybe 25 years ago I did a study on this, but I haven't forgot what I learned about that one little phrase, that, those five words. And uh, those five words... Uh, in the original Greek, um, uh, I didn't relook it uh, up, uh, but I do remember in part, it, it says something to the sort as one that leaps through the flames. If you looked at the original text, as one that leaps through the flames. So let's take that. Let me read it from the beginning again. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved as one that leaps through the flames. In other words, there's some that's going to be uh, just barely be saved. They, they didn't really live the life that God wanted them to live. Their works are going to be burned up. They didn't really do anything for God. But it says they're going to be saved as one that leaps through the flames. In other words, you're going to be so close to hell. You'll be so close to being lost for eternity. Paul is giving the description of one that's actually so close to being lost that he's leaping through the flames to be saved. That's a little scary to me. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. If any man defile the temple of God, I'm the temple of God. You're the temple of God. God, in one place, says the Scripture says that he does not dwell in temples made with hands. 
He did. But now he dwells inside of us. You are the temple. Of, if you have the Holy Ghost, you are the temple of the Holy Ghost. I am the temple of the Holy Ghost. As beautiful as this building is and as much as we love this place and a lot of ministry goes on here, this is not the temple of God. We call this the church, but in all reality, it's not the church. We are the church. We are the building. We are the habitation of God. When we leave this place, God is not here waiting on us. He comes and goes with us. Of course, God is omnipresent. We know that. He's everywhere at the same time. He's in the bar tonight. He's in the clubs. He's in the strip clubs. He's in all those terrible places tonight. Don't think he can be tempted because he can't. Because you can't run from God. Oh, thank God that we are the temple of God tonight and the Spirit of God. Because the Spirit of God dwells in us, makes us the temple of God. Before a person receives the Holy Ghost, he's not the temple of God. The people are out on the street that don't have the Holy Ghost, they're not the, they're not the temple of God. We are the temple of God. You are the temple of God. So we are not to exalt this place so much as saying, oh, God is here, but let's exalt where God really is. Amen. We're not to exalt ourselves, but being, we've got to realize with, with every part of our being that, that God is on the inside of us, and because I'm the temple of God, and because you're the temple of God, that we have got to respect and we've got to honor the temple. And we've got to treat our temple like Jesus treated the temple. When Jesus saw what was going on in the temple, we just read it, and he saw the manure, and he saw the money exchangers, and he saw, he saw the cheating, and he saw the profit, and he saw all the stuff that was going on inside the temple. What did he do? He made a whip. He made a scourge, and he drove them out. And what you've got to do sometimes when you see yourself with something in your life that's not right, you can't be peaceful about it. You're going to have to make you a spiritual whip, and you're going to have to drive out whatever you find in your spirit that is not of God. <clears throat> come on, where does that temp temper come from? Why is a temper remaining in somebody's life? and they can get ticked off at a certain person or about a certain thing, you're going to have to find a way to drive that out of your temple. You cannot leave that remaining in the temple. You can't leave sin in the temple. You got a bunch of bird feathers in your temple. You got a bunch of dung all over the floor. You got cattle in your temple. You're going to have to drive out those things in the temple that should not be there. I'm talking about your temple. Your temple, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. You are the temple of God. This is not a light thing. This is, this is, this is serious. It's, it's one thing to get born again, but it's another thing to live saved. You can get born again, but this is, this is not once in grace, always in grace. This is not once saved, always saved. We are not sinners saved by grace. Don't listen to that stuff you hear by denominal preachers. We are not sinners saved by grace. Can I get one amen? We're not sinners. We've been born again of the water and spirit. I was a sinner. You was a sinner. A sinner practices sin. Amen. And we need not to be practicing sin. Amen. 
A sin is uh, missing the mark. It's an old term. I don't know if it was an old English term or Greek. I don't know. But it was like a, a bullseye. Archers would set up, and they would shoot and, hit, and try to hit the bullseye. But if they missed that center bullseye, the, the interpretation was, or the judge would say, you have sinned. You missed the mark. And when you and I miss the mark and we have not done right, we have sinned. We have, we have disobeyed. And so you cannot let sin dwell in your mortal body. How shall we continue in sin that grace may abound, the apostle said in Romans 6. How shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Amen. We look at grace as some kind of a license. Not the church world does. I hope we don't. But grace is not a license to sin. Grace is not a license to do wrong. Amen. You got to drive out the wrong. You got to drive out the sin. You got to drive out the lust. You got to drive out that temper. You find that jealousy. You got to drive it out. You can't live with just jealousy in your spirit. You got to find that cattle that's in the temple. You got to begin to sweep up. You got to kick them out first and you got to begin to clean up. You got to clean house. There's people that may need to go home and they need to go, go through their DVDs. Uh-huh. And they may need to go to the trash and start breaking them and throwing them away. They may need to go into their books and find things that are not uh, what a Christian should be reading. And they may need to just throw them away. Why? Because there's stuff sometimes in the temple that's got to be driven out, and we can't be okay with it, Brother Wellman. We can't be okay with it. It's, well, just because nobody knows does not make it okay. God knows. And, and I'll tell you what, he's not going to come and, and clean up your temple. He cleaned up that temple because that was his temple. But you are caretakers of your temple. You are the caretaker of your temple. He's not going to come and drive that stuff out. He'll help you if you want help. If you're addicted, he'll help get you over that addiction. If you got habits that you can't break, he'll ha help you get past those habits. If you got stuff you just can't overcome, he will help you. But I'm telling you what, you're going to have to clean house. You're going to have to get out and maybe cry for a little while. And then you're going to have to go home and, and get rid of stuff. Now, this might sound silly to you. And this was just me when I was 17 years old, and I was seeking the Holy Ghost on March 2nd, 1980. That's the night I received the Holy Ghost. But I had been praying for the Holy Ghost a little while. But my hair, I'm just telling you, I'm just saying here tonight, I'm not saying this would stop somebody, but it might have been stopping me. But my hair was a little over my ears, and it was just a little long in the back, but especially over my ears, and I had hair on top at that time. But I was in that altar, and I was searching my soul. I was cleaning house. I said, God, if you'll give me the Holy Ghost tonight, when I get home, I said, I will get the scissors, and I will cut the hair off of my ears. He said, that's silly. That's, it, 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 I was convicted of that. And I took that before the Lord, and I got the Holy Ghost that night. When I got home, uh, I told my mom about that prayer, and I was 17. She said, well, why don't you just wait till tomorrow? It's too late. I said, Mom, I told God I was going to do it tonight. So that night, I cut the hair off my ears, and it's been off ever since. I'm just saying sometimes you just got to clean house. You got to make a commitment to God, and you got to keep your commitment. I don't want to look like the world. I don't want to smell like the world. I don't want to talk like the world. I don't want to act like the world. 
I'm not an Egyptian, so I'm not going to paint up like the world. I'm not going to dress up like an Egyptian. I'm not going to act like an Egyptian. I'm a called out one. I'm called out, and you've been called out, and he's called us, amen, to be a separated people. Separated people. Yeah. I don't want my temple to smell like a barnyard. See these oxen and sheep, these things inside the temple, they can symbolize sin. And they can be symbolic of evil spirits. And you can entertain evil spirits so much and entertain sin so much and make excuses for those things. And you can open yourself up to more. You can, this is, listen, we're, we're living in a very carnal, fleshly world. But if you have the Holy Ghost, you need to be understanding that we are living really in a spirit world. Jesus, that he that is born of the spirit is spirit. And I don't want to open myself up to something, open my spirit to something, amen, that could take a hold of me and enter my temple and defile me even more. And I find myself in constant disobedience and I can't get past it. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah. Jesus is not going to come and be your maid. Tell somebody he's not going to be your maid. He's not going to clean up after you. He's not going to clean up, clean up after you. Go look through those DVDs. Look, for, look through that music. Come on, find out what you need to get rid of. Repent before the Lord. The deeper your repentance, the deeper the revival in your life. You say you want revival in your life, and sometimes we come up here and pray and we cry, you know. We all do it, right? But we come up here and say those things, and, but then we don't. Uh, there's no actions of repentance. There's got to be actions of repentance. We've got to have more than tears. We've got to have more than words. But there's got to be actions of repentance. We've got to drive that stuff out of our temple. We've got to get it out of our temple. We've got to clean house. Because if we'll clean house, oh, the revival, the, the potential of the revival will be great. Oh, I said it will be great. See, the standards, the modest apparel, the holiness that we believe in has something to do with revival. See, to come into the house of God and have it all right and have it all looking right and having it all dressed up right and being all modest in the house of God does little, does so little if we go out there and, and go out there and slack up on it. And we go out there and then we dress immodest and we look immodest and we act immodest and our actions are inappropriate. We've got to be holy inside the church and outside the church because this is just a building and you are the church. You are the temple of the living God. He said, be holy for I am holy. Be holy for I am holy. See, the exterior of Herod's temple, man, it was glorious. It was amazing. It was beautiful. It was. It was just nothing like it. Nothing like it in the world. But what's on the inside? See, maybe no one knew for those days or weeks, whatever it was, when that cattle and those sheep and all that mess was inside the temple and just passing by on the outside. They said, wow, how beautiful, how beautiful. 
But when Jesus walks on the inside, see, that's what he does. He, he walks on the inside of us, and he moves about on the inside of us. And I don't want anything, I don't want anything, you hear me? I said, I don't want anything to hinder my walk with God. I don't want anything to hinder the depth of God that I uh, have available to me. I, I want to go to places I've not been. I want to go to heights I've not been. But I know that if I keep things in my temple that should not be there, it will be a direct hindrance to the depth of the spirit that I will go. It will hinder intercessory prayer. It will hinder my worship. It will hinder the prayers that I pray. Why? Because it's sin in the eyes of God. Cleanse your temple. Cleanse your temple. Let me read you a little bit. The tile floor. With what materials was it built? From yellow and white marble. Can you imagine? Marble floors. <laughs> there are some that say from yellow, black, and white marble. One tier of stones projected outward and one tier of stones projected inwards in order to hold plaster, in other words, concrete. The material, some say that the material of the stone of the marble was imported from Italy, Greece, Tunisia, and Asia Minor. I can't prove that, but that's some of the reading. Can you imagine being imported to, to what the cost and the sacrifice was to bring that marble in from such a distance and then make beautiful floors of it? How amazing. Can, can we imagine and think about how amazing uh, of what God has done in our life to make us, you are a beautiful people. God's people are a beautiful people. That's right. Every man, every woman, every child that is filled with the Holy Ghost is a beautiful person. And what God has done, the sacrifice that he has done, some, some in here may have been, who knows, may have been drug addicts, may have been severe alcoholics, could have been very immoral in your life and there's no telling where God has brought some people from that attend this ministry and attend this church and even our daughter churches and there's no telling telling of the deliverances and the sacrifices that that God has made to pull people out and clean up their lives and give them deliverance and fill them with the Holy Ghost and you know this Jesus talked in one time and he talked about he said, when an evil spirit has gone out of a man, he says, um, he said, uh, that house is swept and garnished, it's cleaned. And he said, that evil spirit comes back, and that evil spirit looks in to see. And he sees that, yeah, that, that, that house is so clean. That evil spirit doesn't live there anymore. It's been kicked out. Jesus delivered that person. And that house is cleaned. It's been swept and garnished. But the problem with that person is they never filled that house with God. Just left it clean. It's like a person that just repented, that got deliverance, and they never got the Holy Ghost. And I would say even a person with the Holy Ghost can do this. If he doesn't get involved and doesn't obey God and, and doesn't proceed and go further in God, God does not want to just have babies birthed, but he wants those babies to grow. If we have a, a bunch of newborns in here, and they're newborns two or three years from now, that's a sad thing. But they need to grow. They need to learn how to walk. They need to learn how to talk. 
You ever been around children that never learned how to do those things well because parents didn't care about them? So it is in the natural, it can be also that way in the spirit. And that one evil spirit that was driven out, he comes back, and the Bible says he brings with him seven more evil spirits, more wicked than himself, that's eight, that come in and they break into that door, in my words, and they enter into that house, into that room, and they possess that person, and the last state of that man is worse than the beginning with that man. I'm telling you tonight, we got to clean house, and we've got to make sure that we're filling the house with God and his word and ministry. Let's go to John 8. Two important passage here. And early in the morning he came again, somebody say he came again, into the temple, and all the people came unto him. And he sat down and taught them. Sounds like he's in the temple, doesn't it? And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst, they took this woman, and they set her down. And they began to accuse her. And they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. What sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And I'm not so much going to talk about that woman here and what Jesus did, but I do want to point out that Jesus was in the temple. Until I noticed this and studied this and confirmed this, I always preached that Jesus stooped down and he wrote on the, in the sand with his finger. But he was actually in the temple. Brother Wellman, it says he was in the temple. And he stooped down twice and he wrote upon the ground. That beautiful marble floor that came in from Greece and possibly other places. Jesus stooped down and with his finger he wrote upon the dirty floor of the temple. That place was not clean. That place should have been immaculate. Oh my. What was he writing? No doubt, you ever see, you ever get behind a semi and it's really dirty and somebody wrote with their finger, wash me? I wonder if that's what he wrote down in the sand. Hallelujah. Whatever it was, they sure didn't like it. They didn't like it. But a temple, this beautiful place that was made for worship, for the habitation of God, for God's people to walk in and worship, now is nothing but a den of thieves. It's a place that is just looks like any old building out there in Jerusalem that was not being taken care of that Jesus could stoop down and write on the marble floor in the dust and the dirt with his finger. What a shame, huh? But see, we're like that sometimes, aren't we? 
Come on, we're like that sometimes. Sometimes we know that Jesus can, uh, he could probably reach down and he could, with his finger, write on the table of our heart and say something because we have not cleaned house like we should have. We, we all know it's true. Amen. We may, we may not want to admit it. I, we may not want to confess it. But we have to be honest to say, listen, I want to be right with God. I don't want to just come in here and uh, just, you know, put on uh, and maybe just shed some tears and get prayer or pray for others or do whatever we do and then go out there and be that same individual. I want to, I want to, <clears throat> did you know that if I'm not mistaken, it was this temple. I didn't study it out, but I have read and heard that when they walked into the temple in whatever door they came in, they were required to go out a different door because God did not want them going out the same way. He wanted them to get the sight of what, whatever they could see, and then they didn't, he didn't want them going backwards and seeing that same thing, same thing again. He wanted them to have a certain, um, how can I say, a certain vision of this beautiful place. And so I would like to say along with that, when we walk in the door, we should leave different than what we came. Amen. We should not leave the same way. Amen. If it takes staying a little longer, we stay a little longer. If it takes praying, that's, what, that's what's great about uh, this church and our pastor and, and the ministers here because we're not afraid to do that. I've been to places. They don't, there's a lot that don't do that. They get a certain time and they're afraid. They, they let them go. But we're not afraid to do that here. And we're going to pray and we're going to seek God. Man, <clears throat> we want a clean house. How many cattle you got in your, your temple? How much dust on the floor? How much debris? First Corinthians 6 and 18. He said, flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. As far as I know, I could be wrong, but I have not found it. As far as I know, this is the only sin mentioned in the Bible. That not only that you're sinning against God, but you're sinning against your own body. You're sinning against your own body. You're sinning against God, but you're also sinning against your own body. Then he says, verse 19, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you? Oh, God, help me to realize the seriousness of my body. Six foot one, over 200 pounds, whatever height and weight you are, that's your body. Last message or so, one of the last that pastor taught on a, on a weeknight was about taking care of our, our body, wasn't it? That's was a good message, a great message. And, and that's vital because our bodies are a temple of the Holy Ghost. But I'm not talking about that tonight. I'm talking about that inner part. I'm talking about the hidden man of the heart that no man can see. I'm talking about that, 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 those secret sins. I'm talking about that, that inner person, that inner man, that inner woman, that, that nobody knows your thoughts but God. Nobody knows what you want, what you desire, what you covet after but God. And so what we have to do, we have to drive out that which is not of God. <clears throat> not to mix that up and live in condemnation, see? So many people live in a, a, a condemned state 
because they don't know how to divide the thoughts from the intents. It's Hebrews 4 and 12. Uh, it says his word is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You have thoughts of your heart, and you have intentions of your heart, and God in his word is able to divide which is which. Like the old preacher that said, listen, uh, you can't stop the birds from flying around your flying over your head, but you can keep them from making a nest in your hair. You can't stop every thought from coming into your mind, but I tell you what, you can, you can stop them from lodging in your spirit. You can resist them and say, I'm not going there. I'm not meditating on that. I'm not thinking about that. That's not going to be in my heart. See, it's not always sins of deeds Sometimes it's just stuff in our spirit, like I was talking about a little while ago. So your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own. You don't own you. You have no rights. You gave up everything for God. You gave up everything to receive the Holy Ghost. You don't have a right to, to make decisions anymore. Everything has got to pass by the Master. Listen, you're going to buy a house, you're going to buy a car, you're going to get married, you're going to go out of town. Everything's got to be prayed about. Everything's got to be sought to, to seek God about. Why? Because he's the master. We're yielding to him. It's, it, it, this is a temple of the Holy Ghost. He knows what our future is. Amen? For you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. You are not your own. Do not make decisions without prayer. Some people will pray about it and still do what they want. I have prayed about automobiles and God wound up with good uh, automobiles. When I was pastoring, we prayed about a 15, we were looking at a 15 passenger van, a big white van. Went out and drove it on the highway. One of the brothers from the church went with me. We drove it up and down the highway I was out in Lockport or somewhere, and uh, be honest, I didn't pray about that van. Didn't pray about it. Before I got home that night, the transmission was going out. But you know what? The ones I pray about, they're all good. I'm not saying that God doesn't let us have troubles and trials. He does, because some things are made to perfect us and kind of polish our gold a little bit. One more passage in 2 Corinthians 6. I don't, I guess I do know what time it is. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. But be ye not equally yoked together with unbelievers. We know what that means. We could be unequally yoked in business dealings. We can be unequally yoked in relationships and marriages. Um, and uh, he said, don't do it. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And I could stay on those things, but I'm not going to. We're almost done. And what concord hath Christ with Belial, which is the devil? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? Did you know that you can make things an idol in your life? 
Why is it that people today, and I haven't heard it here, so I'm not talking about here, but I have been, especially when I was young, and I could hear these guys that I associated with that grew up in the church with me, and they could name all the players on the baseball team and the basketball team. They could name all the players. They could talk about their stats, but I guarantee you they couldn't name the 12 apostles. I, I bet you they couldn't name the 66 books of the Bible, but why could they spend so much time making an idol out of some of these things that mean nothing Come on now, that means nothing, but know so little about the Word of God. I'm not saying sports is all wrong, but we can make anything a God. We can make anything. We can lift up anything. We can lift up anything, and we can put it before God. People put themselves before God. That's why people backslide. What's the first thing a person stops doing when he's backsliding? Well, He's not praying. You can't have a prayer life and backslide. Either sin is going to overcome your prayer life or your prayer life is going to overcome sin. And you have to make the choice. I will make the choice that my prayer life is going to overcome sin and temptation in my life. I'm going to cleanse the temple. Come on now. I'm going to get the mop out and I'm going to clean the temple. Or ye are the temple of the living God. I think I've proved the point after a number of scriptures that we are the temple of God. No doubt I didn't have to prove that to you anyway. As God has said, I will dwell in them. Watch this. God said, I will dwell in them. God. Can you imagine this? God is actually dwelling in you right now. I mean, I'm talking about Jehovah God. I'm talking about the omnipresent, almighty God. The healer is living on the inside of you. The devil caster outer is living on the inside of you right now. The baptizer of the Holy Ghost is living on the inside. Come on now. The one that gives peace, the one that gives all of this, is living in you now. Oh, I want a clean temple, don't you? Don't you want a clean temple? You say, well, that's not really bothering me. I said to my wife recently, and I hope this doesn't, you don't take this wrong, but I... Well, it's the truth. But, uh, you know, we got people coming over for our, uh, our home group. I can't even think what you call it now. Community group. <laughs> Amen. But I said, you know what? All those, those DVDs in there, we don't, have any, we don't have any worldly DVDs. We don't have none of that. But I said, it, it bothers me that people can look through that case and just see what we have. You know, and a lot of it's cartoons for the kids and the historical stuff like that. Sometimes we'll just sit and relax. But it, but, it, but it bugs me to think that somebody could walk in my house and go, What's he got? what kind of movies he got in there? Because I don't want nobody thinking that I've got that. Because I want, to keep, I want a clean temple. And I don't mean that in an arrogant way or a self-righteous way at all. But I'm careful. Like one old powerful preacher, he's been dead and gone for years. And he was illiterate. He couldn't even read and write, but he was an evangelist. He was a praying man. And uh, they, drove him, they drove him by the past. He was preaching for, a pre- pre- preaching for a pastor. And he was simple-minded, of course. Very <laughs> he could, like I said, he couldn't read or write. Couldn't even read a Bible. They would play it on tape. And he'd drive down the road and there'd be one of those outdoor theaters. 
he saw it out of the corner of his eye. He put his hand up like that as it drove by in the car. He didn't want it. He didn't want nothing. He didn't want any glimpse of anything that would hinder. But he was a revivalist. He was a powerful man with God. I'm telling you tonight, we can be powerful with God if we want to. Teenagers, young people, women and men alike, amen. And a lot of that has something to do with not living in a con condemnation, a state of condemnation. And when you begin to sacrifice things unto the Lord and give things up for God, that will help your faith. I could prove it by the Bible. There's scripture after scripture that says it. If your heart condemn you not, then we have confidence toward God. There's one. Amen. We're almost done. We could stand. Maybe the uh, music would like to come. I will dwell in them, and I will walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Oh, Jesus, can we lift our hands right now and just love the Lord? Amen. Maybe we could uh, come down for some family prayer tonight and just come and lift our hands up unto the Lord and just... To say, God, cleanse my temple. Lord God, cleanse my temple. I'm here with you tonight. I'm not preaching just to you. I'm preaching to me too, like Pastor says. I am. Cleanse my temple, O Lord. Wash me. Make me clean, O Lord. Oh, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus.